The text for the sermon this day is taken from the gospel lesson which was read to you earlier. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the little annoying things sometimes about our lectionary, our scheduled readings, is that they give us an option between a shorter reading and a longer reading, and sometimes they're bad options. This week was one of those bad options. And cut out three good verses. Three very important verses, very relational to the Lenten season, because it is Jesus telling them that he is going to be crucified, that he is going to be flogged, he is going to be beaten. That's where this text began. And upon hearing that, it's amazing how quickly, because notice at the very beginning it says, and James and John, which is letting you know the fact that it started with and lets you tell you, hey, something else just happened. So they just heard that Jesus is going to be crucified, and what do they do? Like, hey, Lord, why don't you give us whatever we ask of you? He said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one on your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. See, James and John, they were on the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw Jesus transfigured before them, that glorious light. Transfigured like no one had ever seen. Clothes are whiter than any bleach could ever make it. Sounds like a Tide ad, I know. But they saw that. They have a pretty good idea that they have some semblance of an idea that he is the Christ. They know that he's a king and he comes to restore a king, his kingdom. And so they imagine that sitting on his left and on his right in his glory sounds like a sweet gig. I mean, they could imagine that sitting, Jesus is sitting there on a beautiful throne with a crown of gold on his head covered in jewels, and they themselves, not quite as good of a chair, but still pretty nice. And they too have their own little crowns, and they have the best clothes on, the best robe, and there's all the best food that anybody can get, the food that just makes your mouth water to think of it. And there they are looking at the whole hall of assembly, people that are worshiping and adoring Jesus, and there they are in the corner of everybody's eyes. They can imagine how great that must be. But Jesus says to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? 
Jesus, and so they're not quite catching on that what they just requested was, a, was nothing like what they imagined. And it's evidence because they said, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. The clue has been given and they're not picking up on it. That his glory is nothing like they think it is. To sit on his right and on his left is not what they think. And they're not talking about just his heaven. They're, they're thinking of heaven. They're talking about the eternal resurrection. That's what's probably on their minds. But that is for Jesus, that is not his moment of glory. And it gets even more hinted at when he says to them, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his ransom, his life, as a ransom for many. There, even more, giving hint as to what they asked and did not know it. See, Jesus' glory is not, and by the way, if you're here at Transfiguration Sunday, I preach kind of similarly, but his glory is not what they imagine. It is not what they think. The thing is, is that, in fact, his moment of glory is a stumbling block to Christianity for so many people. And the hint is in that word, cup. Are you able to drink of the cup that I drink? There's another place where Jesus talks about drinking a cup. Mark 14, verse 36. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. What is he asking to be removed from? His death. The request that they made, what they don't understand is that Jesus' glory is in on the cross. It's the thing that makes the Christian faith, our God, unique from every other God in pretty much any other religion. Think about it. Allah, all the words that go with Islam, is Allah is mighty. Islam actually literally means to, uh, to submit. It's a religion about power. Muhammad was, was a warrior prophet. Think about the ancient gods, Zeus and or Loki, or Thor, and all them, Odin. Yes, I know they're Marvel characters, but they're actually also Norse gods. They're all conveyed as being powerful, strong. 
But that's not how our God presents himself. That is not his moment of glory. He says that to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant. This is what it says in Mark 15. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. What James and John did not realize they just requested was to be on the left cross and on the right cross. That's why they did not realize why Jesus said, you have no idea what you just asked. They were asking, not knowing it, to be on the left and the right cross. Because you see, our God is, does not show his glory in the moment where his power is the greatest, where he shows off all his might. Rather, the glory of Jesus is shown in the moment when he most restrains it. In the moment when he is abandoned, in the moment when he has absolutely nothing, when he has actually been stripped naked, and he hangs in that cross and breathes his very last breath, that is his glory. That's the baptism which he is speaking of. There are different kinds of baptisms in the New Testament. There's the baptism which you hopefully have received when the pastor said, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's the baptism for the forgiveness of sins. But the baptism which Jesus speaks of is the baptism of martyrdom. The baptism of dying that another may live. For what does Romans 5 say of Jesus' death? It says, God showed his love for us. And that while we were still sinners. Note it does not say that once you got your act together, or at least just stopped sinning a little bit, then Jesus died for you. No, no. While you were still sinners, from the greatest to the least, no matter how great and how grand your sin is, while you were still deep in sin, while you were God's enemy, Christ died for you. And by his blood, you have redemption. You have forgiveness. You have life. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved on account of what Jesus did on the cross. That was his glory. Not at all what we would expect. I mean, think about it, especially in our nation. How many, pe how many times do we see on the news the moment of glory? Does anybody show, we don't show the people who are broken and in poverty. We see the celebrities and their Awesome, incredible dresses or suits or really nicely dressed, their wonderful hair, or maybe it's their awesome vehicles or their beautiful houses. We don't see the one that has absolutely nothing. 
Because in our society, that's not glory. That's shame. But that is how Jesus showed his glory. And it was a model to everyone. See, that's why, so Jesus says, the cup that I drink, you will drink. The baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. And there Jesus is telling what the cost is to be his disciple. The cost of following him is that you too are called to make sacrifice for others. Now, it may not be literally, it may not be that you'd be crucified. That hasn't happened for a pretty long time in the United States. I don't know if it ever has happened in the United States. It does happen in some parts of the world that Christians are crucified still. But it might be just the sacrifice of time, of being there to tell somebody about your faith. Last weekend, we had um, Brent Smith from Mission Central. And he told about the work of the missionaries of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, who were sent forth from that barn outside of Mapleton. Of how they, we send out around, somewhere around 120 missionaries around the world with the task of telling others about Jesus. But the thing is, is it's not left only to those who are overseas. It is a task that is given to every single Christian. Because every single one of us, when we were born, we were born dead in our sins and our trespasses. We were born destined for condemnation. But by the blood of Jesus, by his extravagant love, by, that, by the way, if that hymn that we just sang, my song is Love Unknown, first off, I love the tune. It almost sounds like Lord of the Rings music. And that's a compliment because Lord of the Rings is awesome music. But the words itself are just beautiful poetry. I mean, just take that last verse, or the second to last verse, in life, no house, no home, my Lord on earth might have. In death, no friendly tomb, but what a stranger gave. What may I say? Heaven was his home, but mine the tomb where he lay. That is love unknown. You deserve the grave. You deserve hell. But, you, but he took it instead. He's, he took the tomb, and you got the keys to the kingdom. How extravagant. And so we hear of our lo the love of our Savior, the love of Jesus. We can't help but be compelled to tell others of the gospel. James and John, who made this request of Jesus, James was killed. His martyrdom is recorded in the book of Acts. John, he did not die a martyr's death, but he was forced to live out his life on the prison island of Patmos. Throughout the history of Christianity, there's been great persecution. One story that I always find to be 
quite amazing, is the story of the 40 martyrs of Savast. A.D. 320, Emperor Licinius has sent out a decree that everybody was to pay homage to, to him as a god and to pay homage to the Roman gods. Well, there were a number of people who refused, including these 40 martyrs who were soldiers in the Roman Empire. 40 of the best soldiers. While they ga gathered up these Christians and they stripped them of their they stripped them completely naked and they forced them to go out into a frozen lake. And they made them stand there in that lake and told them just deny the faith and confess to the Roman gods and you will live. Simple as that. They would not. And they would sing hymns. And one of the phrases that would be said was, Lord, there are 40 of us engaged in this battle. Grant that 40 may be crowned and not one be missing from this sacred number. And so they stood there, freezing, shivering, slowly dying. And in order to entice them, the Roman soldiers ended up setting up baths, hot, steamy baths all along the lake. And told them, hey, jump out of the lake into this. If you could come in here and be warmed up, all you have to do is confess to the Roman gods and deny, and deny Christ. And they refused. Tell one man that was in the, in the group, he gave up. The cold became too much to bear, and he ran out of the lake, and he crawled. Actually, I should say he didn't run out. He got out of the lake very slowly, crawled to the bath. And basically because of the extreme change from cool to hot, his heart gave out and he died in the boat. In the, in the bath. Upon seeing this incredible confession, one of the soldiers who was overseeing the execution took off his gear, joined the, what was now 39 to make it 40 again. And so they again said, Lord, there are 40 of us engaged in this battle. Grant that 40 may be crowned and not one be missing from the sacred number. And so they died 40 in that lake. That is one of countless stories throughout the history of Christianity. And some of them are, don't go back to 320 AD. In fact, many of them go to today. Literally today. Stories I don't know, but they are happening. On average, about 11 Christians die somewhere around the world every single hour. 11 every hour. Martyrdom has not disappeared. 
The cost for standing for the gospel, to stand for the fullness of the truth of Christ, is to be hated. Jesus said it himself. If they hated me, they will hate you as well. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Greater, but he also says, greater love has no one than that he lay down his life for his friends. That's what you are called to do. To lay down your life for your friends, your family, your enemies by telling them about the gospel. Fortunately, in this country, you don't have to fear that they're going to pull out a gun or anything on you. This country, you might get rejected. But maybe they might hear you. They might listen to what you have to say. And they'll join in eternity with you. And that is definitely worth it. We in this church, I probably said this before, I don't know, maybe I haven't. We, are, we have a membership of about 900 in a town of 2,000. We should be a mighty army. But I, ha I fear that we are but a sleeping, sleeping giant. Asleep at the wheel. Not seeing... That if you, go to, if you go to lunch, go to supper tonight or whatever, if you go to breakfast tomorrow, if you sat with five random people from Ida County, you are the only person that was in church this week. Because only one in five are in church on a given Sunday or a given weekend. The need is dire. There is no salvation outside of Christ. There is only condemnation. You are in this place to tell others. There is a cost. It is difficult. It is not easy. But the reward is beyond measure. And as Jesus says, take heart. I have overcome this world. He overcame sin, death, the devil, the world. He didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. And so shall all who call on him. So until the day comes, proclaim him. Declare his love. His, un his love unknown. Make it a song. Declare it to others. In Jesus' name. Amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith, the life everlasting. Amen. Please stand.